0: Welcome to the Talk Marketing Analysis for Life Sciences podcast with Covalent Bonds. I'm your host, Laura Brown, and I am Chief Effectiveness Officer here at Covalent Bonds HQ. In this podcast, we explore marketing and media analysis for life sciences, touching on topics from marketing data to our guests' biggest marketing failures and successes, because it is in learning from others that the magic happens. Hello, today I'm interviewing Liza Rivero. Vice President of Global Marketing at Fujifilm Diosynth Biotechnologies. Thank you so much for joining us today, Liza. Thank you very much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. We're honored to have you. Before we get started, and for our listeners who maybe don't know, would you please just tell us a little bit about your company and your role at the company?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Fujifilm Diosynth Biotechnologies is a what is known in the industry as a CDMO, which is an acronym for contract development and manufacturing organization. What that means is that we don't develop or manufacture drugs or therapies for ourselves, but we help others develop and manufacture therapies for their patients. One good example of what we do, and what I like to tell people, is you can have one of the greatest molecules that has great potential to cure diseases or to treat ailments we have tremendous expertise in developing processes that as they move through the clinical stages. So as you're going through the different stages of the clinical development process, you need to be able to scale up to meet the demands of either your clinical trials and subsequently you have to have a process that you know is going to be scalable and it's going to meet all of the quality requirements for commercialization. We do a lot of different things. Myself and, and I have I have a team and we do everything from developing and maintaining our website, looking at the analytics, organizing conferences and events and webinars. We support internal communications at the site level. We develop collaterals and materials, look at different ways to put project plans and of course create an, the marketing strategy for the year based on the business needs.
0: So it's a lot. For a small team, let's do it all. You sound busy. So who do you report into? I report into the chief business officer. And what kind of reporting do you actually have to do? Do you have a formal sort of reporting structure?
1: Well, it so happens that my boss and I have offices next to each other. And uh, one of the reasons of we work so well together is we're able to exchange ideas or I can give him updates right away. I do, we do put formal reports because at the end of the day, we need to communicate marketing results to the executive leadership team. So we do reporting based on specific events or specific activities that we are you know, putting significant amount of either investment or resources
0: or both. Mm -hmm. So how would you go about that reporting? Is it based around certain sort of objectives, metrics and then data or is it more high level? What does that sort of thing look like?
1: So we pretty much every person that is in our ELT is scientifically and numbers driven. So we do have to need we need to have metrics to show success. Mm -hmm. And it depends on what kind of metrics we are presenting. So, for example, we could be looking at a conference. And and in our case, the uh, annual bio meeting is our biggest conference of the year. That's where we put a lot of resources. And it's it's a huge conference for the commercial team to do a lot of partnering and having business meetings. And we we use the booth and we use marketing efforts to support that. So the way we look at that, for example, when I'm putting a report is, okay, how many meetings did we have? Of those meetings, how many of those were you know, brand new customers? Do we expect to have any confidentiality agreements come as a result? Do we expect to have visits coming out of, as a result of those conversations? And we started building metrics like that, which then go into the report that we issue to the leadership. There could be other things that we do. So for example, the website for us is a, is a very important tool and it's a very important resource to get how marketing qualified leads for the commercial team. Mm-hmm. So looking at the metrics and how well we're performing in terms of the leads that are coming in, is there something that is not we're not seeing the traffic that we expected, then we need to start digging in deeper. And I don't necessarily give them that level of detail, but I say, hey, look, guys, you know, I've noticed that for this or the, for, this, for X, Y, and Z, we saw, and we see pretty constant number of leads. Now we're not seeing any for this. So I'm just letting you know that we're going to be doing, we're going to be evaluating why that's happening. And we're going to be taking action to make sure that we change that. That's mm-hmm. the kind of reporting that we do.
0: So it sounds like part of your role then is more on a sort of a business intelligence level, taking the data out of activities you're doing and helping the company make better decisions.
1: What we're looking to do with the data that we're gathering is companies tend to be very reactive in terms of how they take action. And what we're trying to do now is be proactive. So in the things that are marketing related, for, for sure, I can definitely use that data and Help correct how we are presenting ourselves as an organization, or drive the business goals that have been set by the, the the leadership. And and some of those goals may change as the year goes by. Our our own marketing goals can also change as we're moving through the year. I mean, we are being a CDMO is a very interesting business because. We do many different things, and we work with customers that are all stages of the clinical journey. So that puts us that that makes the marketing not being so straightforward, and we have to talk to people in different ways and communicate messages at different levels. And you know, we could be set in a path to do it in a certain way, and then the data starts coming, and we're like, okay, we're not necessarily delivering the message the way it should be. So we need to make corrections, whether it's SEO, whether it's selecting other conferences, or making the decision to have speakers with technical
0: content, I and mean, then what's the right technical content? All of that. Mm-hmm. So that's really interesting. So you're evaluating message impact and then responding as it's going. How are you doing that on a practical level?
1: So, for example, and again, going back to, I think one of the best examples is is your website, right? Because you get a lot of analytics there. And we know we know because we track how well our pages performing. Now everybody knows that your careers pages and your job postings are going to receive the majority of of the hits. But then, let's say that we did a campaign, or we were preparing or getting ready to go to the bio meeting, or after the bio meeting, we started tracking traffic to the website and performance about three two and a half three years ago so we are now have so we went through a period where we were doing baselining mm-hmm. we were baselining everything now we have enough points of data that we can do a little bit of prediction in terms of what we expect to see and if we don't see it we know that something is not working correctly it could be something as simple as having a glitch on your side or it could just be that you're not delivering the message in the correct way. So if I'm trying to get a message across, whether it's to promote our gene therapy services or our monoclonal antibody delivery platforms and, or anything like that, I have to make sure that we have the appropriate content and mm-hmm. that we're putting the content in the appropriate channels. And it's not always straightforward to figure out what's going to be the, the winning formula so we use data to guide us in that process.
0: So how do you get that data? What systems do you have in place to do that?
1: So we use Google Analytics as one of the big tools that we have. And we are working now with a firm to provide consulting with SEO. So we need to make sure that we keep that pretty fresh. That's mm-hmm. one tool that we, we have. We are also now entering the world of marketing automation. Mm -hmm. And we are using tools. We have implemented Marketo as a tool. We haven't integrated it to Salesforce yet, which is the CRM that we use, but that is actually a project that's in the works for right now. So we are using tools like that to get analytics. There's other tools also that we use. For example, something called Showpad. I'm not sure if, if you're familiar with it. But Showpad is a a great content management system, and you can share data, you can share documents from there, and you can collect information on whether or not it's been read or not, or, you know, what people are interested in. And then if we have other platforms, whether it's our video library, we can see which videos have had the most views. So we have a pretty broad tools to give us that information depending on what it is that we're doing.
0: Mm-hmm. And how do you bring all of that data together to be able to look at it holistically?
1: So, we look at it, for example, if we are running a campaign, the campaign, there's a the purpose that has triggered the campaign, whether it's data driven or it's a request or we're, we're tying it to perhaps an announcement that we're making or a conference. We need to understand what's the trigger and what happened before, what happened during, and what happened after. So if we create content, we run a campaign, we look at the traffic, we look at the leads, we look at the mentions that we may have if we make it into the media, we put all that together and say okay, this was, you know, really successful and then we track it, you know, depending what makes sense. It could be that we track it for a month after, it could be that we track it, you know, for a week. Again, it depends what we do. And we continue to see, you know, social media is another one that we use too. Where are we having more impact, and are we seeing the results that we want? And we have to measure that in different ways. I mean, I guess it it depends what it is that we're doing, but we would take a, a complete approach mm-hmm. to and see. Okay, we we we're, we're seeing the leads coming. That's good because that's what we expected. Ah, no one in social media is quite that interested in this news. That's that's interesting. So maybe it's not the right channel, and we are seeing traffic up to the roof, and they're going to X, Y, and Z page. So you have to put everything together, and you know this video or this piece of collateral, it's been downloaded, you know, hundred times. Mm-hmm. That's
0: how you put a full picture of how your mark, you know, of your different marketing efforts. You mentioned that it was about two years ago that the company started on the journey of bringing in the technology and looking at the metrics. What was the Business driver that made you all start doing that?
1: So it's really interesting because the marketing team at Fujifilm Dias and Biotechnology is relatively new. Previous to about three and a half years ago, it was the sales and marketing team. So they were linked together, and marketing didn't really, was not a standalone department. It was always part of the sales team. Mm -hmm. The driver to separate and create a marketing team and build it from the ground up came because of the incredible growth the company is having. And we started entering into new areas, for example, gene therapy. It's something that we entered in 2014 and we had to dedicate efforts for that in terms of the marketing. And when you have enormous growth and you expect to have enormous growth, there was a realization at the senior level that marketing was actually important. And that was the driver to create the marketing group. And then as a, as a formal marketing team, we started doing an assessment. Okay, what, what are the things that we need to put in place to make our job, A, to show that there is ROI in what we do and that what we do is having an impact. And we had to do an education that the marketing ROI may not be measured right away. Perhaps as you may see with sales, but it's, more, it's longer term. Being mm-hmm. able for you to be able to show that you have to have data so that's how you know we started putting a plan okay let's look at where we can get data what kind of data and how is this going to help us communicate to the leadership and communicate the value that marketing brings that was Very long answer, but that was the driver.
0: (laughs) So it's interesting that you both knew that the sales and marketing used to be an integrated function. How close do the the teams work now? Or is it the typical scenario that happens in our industry where they start to fracture in silo and not communicate as effectively as uh, they could do?
1: I think our teams work really well together. We want to support a sales team and they also come and provide input for us. I mean, you can't silo yourself. And I have to be honest, I was a salesperson before entering in this role for over 15 years. I think one of the things that I view as important is I knew as a salesperson what the customer needed. I understood what tools I needed to be able to sell to that customer.
0: Mm-hmm. I knew
1: from being in the forefront, what are the what are the hot topics? What are people interested? What do customers want to hear about? And then... Take that information and be able to translate into valuable marketing materials, whether it's, or, or, you know, whether it's suggesting topics for presentations or you know, going to the right conferences. You need to have that information. And if you don't have a close relationship or a close working partnership with your sales team, you're going to be missing out in a lot of getting that information, which is coming directly from the customer, which is the people
0: that you're trying to communicate to. Mm-hmm. I completely agree with you it it 's just funny these days we we seem to see a fracture between the two. I think it 's often through a miscommunication between the two departments about what marketing 's role is in the the lead generation program essentially i 'm interested to know obviously we, we work in life sciences. Do you find that you're ever up against, I guess, a negative perception against marketing in a scientific world that people don't understand the impact of it and its, and its role? <laughs> I think that's, that's such a really great question. And I don't think, I just
1: honestly don't think that in our industry, people have a very good understanding of marketing, that you can understand marketing behind, like, you know, drug companies, are, they have to do their marketing for their drugs, their medicines. That is easy for people to understand. I think it becomes a little bit more difficult when the organization doesn't have a view as to, oh, okay, all you do is like do pretty posters or create pretty booths and you know do pretty things. And I think to some extent, there has been a perception that that's all marketing does. But then it's your responsibility as a marketer and as a marketing team to do an education. And the education again is saying, oh, okay, you know, guys, we wanted to promote X, Y, and Z. We wanted to increase the number of leads. We wanted to do whatever. Well, from month one to month 10, we did this, this, and this. And I can tell you right now that we increase or triple or double or whatever, increase the leads or whatever the outcome was. And this is how we did it. Once you start having that conversation with people, I think their perception starts changing and the more data that you have, and especially there's like, there's data and then there's cool data, what I call cool data, things that you're like, wow, this is, this is so interesting. And if you are able to communicate that, then people will be on board and then they'll, they'll start to see that there's a lot more to just making pretty things that are part of a of marketing team. Even things like social media. So, so participation in social media is something that has been taken very gradually. It hasn't been like everybody has been on board. But again, it's something new. And I mean, who saw, who knew that we were going to be using those channels to communicate information about the company? And we use some of those channels quite significantly. And for example, LinkedIn is one of those that I think are, are really fantastic but you have to train your people and you have to show them the value on participating, not only for the company, but also for themselves. So we also do things like we do training sessions. We create our own training sessions and offer it as webinars to employees. And we try to build that value. And then people start seeing, oh, okay. So the social media, it's not just Putting things is actually important and it helps the company and it helps me. And these are the different things that I can see for myself. And people, when you start giving data to people, then they get excited. I guess at the end of the day, we need to take the lead
0: and educate people on what we do. We tend to find that where people are involved in that planning process, they're more amenable to hearing the results and to being engaged with it. So the earlier you get them involved, the better it will be. Absolutely.
1: I think if the
0: best results, And this is something that I have learned throughout
1: my career. And I wish I wish it had been like an obvious thing from the beginning. But when you bring people on the journey with you, even if it's just consulting, I mean, people want to feel that the input and their opinions and what they have to offer is it's valued and is taken into account. You don't always have to take everything. But it's, again, it's all about bringing people into that journey with you. It makes, it makes a huge difference. And if that's one piece of advice I wish I had received 10 years ago, I would have taken it. But you learn that over time.
0: In terms of offline marketing, obviously we've talked about Measuring using Google Analytics, we've talked about your sort of the technology for measuring video impact, etc. But when it comes to the softer side of it, and I, and I use soft as a very loose term public relations, your brand, the things that are harder to measure, how do you guys approach evaluating the impact of those?
1: Yeah, that's again a really good question. And we are working on different initiatives to present and bring our brand, create awareness to the brand. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to do things a little bit different. Let me give you an example. We opened about a year and a half ago or just a little under a year and a half ago, a Cambridge collaboration center in Cambridge, Massachusetts.
0: Mm-hmm. Now
1: this is not a lab. This is not, it's, it's, we, and we didn't want to call it the marketing office, even though it's part of it's run by by my team. And the reason we wanted to put this Cambridge Collaboration Center was obviously one of the biggest, if not the biggest biotech hub in the world. We want to have a presence there. We didn't really have a direct presence where people could see and be connected to the FBB brand. Mm -hmm. So we opened the office and what we decided to do was we're going to use this space to build relationships, to create awareness but we don't want to do it in a commercial way or we're trying to sell you something. So the way we're using this space is we're doing almost monthly lunch and learns that are strictly of technical content and we do not have any self-promotional information there. And we have also opened the space so if other companies in the area would like to use the space because they have a lunch and learn or they have a meeting or they have something that they want to do, hey, come on in. You're more than welcome to use our space. And again, there's, we just we want to collaborate. We have collaborated by being in that space, working with MassBio, which is the uh, the state biotechnology organization, and we have provided them with you know use of the space. And we have we are now heavily involved in attending all of the events that they put together. Mm -hmm. And we're also doing it. reach out to the community. So we're doing STEM initiatives, Cambridge in Cambridge, they have a big science festival, it's like a week long. And we are supporting it and sponsoring, not because we know not because there's going to be potential customers there. Of course, there's going to be people but really, we want our brand to be associated with with an organization that is looking to collaborate, is looking to build those partnerships that that are built in the common shared passion of, you know, making therapies that are gonna make people in the world better. Mm -hmm. And I really, really truly believe that. So that is one way that we are putting the brand. And I I mentioned the the STEM initiative we created. We have a series of coloring books that we started putting out for small kids, kids from the five to ten, we realized, you know, where are these conferences and what, what do people do at the big conferences? They like to take the, you know, the little giveaways. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to one of my colleagues in, in the department and we're both moms. And he's like, when you take that stuff, do you really want it for your kids? but let's give them something of value. And then that's how our coloring book series has started. And we, we started with Victor Virus, which is focused on teaching kids how gene therapies work. And then the last one that we launched about a month and a half ago is Charlotte Cho, which teaches kids about bioreactors and how you make proteins that make people better out of Cho cells. Oh, and,
0: that's
1: fantastic. It's such an initiative, but you know, how do you measure that? Yeah. Well, we measure it. We measure it based on the, at the Cambridge office, we you know, we measure it in the, we, we track, of course, we know how many people come to the event. We spent a year baselining. And now we're starting to see the people come more than once. And, and I mean, we have people that come to quite a few of our events. We hear it. We see it in social media. We saw you guys, or it was great to have you there. So this is a little bit, more qualitative in nature, mm-hmm. but you can still track the results. For the coloring books, how many people reaching out and saying, hey, I saw the coloring books, would love to send 50 of those books to my kids' class. Can you send me some? And so there's, there's different ways to measure the success of, of
0: those type of initiatives. So how do you look at the actual impact of it, though? So if somebody came to you, for example, and said, so what is the return on that investment? How would you look at that?
1: I think at the end of the day, it comes to how are, we, how are we perceived within the industry? How is our company being viewed? You can hear that. I mean, when you are in a booth at a conference and you're standing there with your CEO on, and you're the CEO of the site, and someone comes and says, wow, you guys, you guys are big. Look at this. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a lot of word of mouth. Another way to measure, which is a little bit difficult, is people trust your message and they trust your brand and they feel that you're going to measure up and deliver to them what you're saying you're going to deliver. You're going to have more business. And Mm -hmm. I do think it's difficult to measure. But when you start seeing your business growing, there has to be a tie to that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Do you do net promoter score analyses and surveys? No, we do not i 'm interested to know why with a company that 's so focused on the brand and the brand value, was there a reason is there well, a decision sort of not to do that
1: I take it back. so when we do the lunch and learn, we do surveys mm-hmm. to mesh that we do do surveys, we ask people we want to know if they found the topic valuable, you know if the speaker was good, that kind of things. So when it comes to doing other kinds of surveys, we are looking into that right
0: now as that's
1: that's going to be a next step in our
0: in our journey. Understood. Mm-hmm. You've been on such a long journey already in two years. You can only do as much as you can in that time. I understand that completely. So of the metrics and the measurements that you do currently, what are the most sort of important? If a company was about to embark on a similar journey that you've been on, what would be the kind of things that you would say, consider, you know, get baselines on this, do these measurements, these are the most sort of impactful?
1: I would say... The leads that we receive through the website are really, really important. And that is something I keep my eye on very, very closely.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think the number of for events, conferences and whatnot, looking at the number of leads that come back to us, that are qualified. At that point, those leads will get marketing leads that will qualify, but then the sales team, because they are if they're at the front of the events that we put together for them, they do the sales leads. And then we track those. We track those to see, did anything actually, did it convert? Did we issue a proposal? Those are really, I would say, probably if I had to choose
0: of metrics that I would want to see, are those. We touched on value before. Do you have a a way of measuring return on investment?
1: Yeah, so that is a great, another really good question. And this is the one area where I wish that there was, there was more industry-wide data that you could use, because mm-hmm. for a lot of industries, you can go and, and say, okay, if you're in the consumer product space, I spent X amount in a conference, you should expect to see why. Mm-hmm. that is not so common and clear in our industry it 's actually very, very difficult to say what are other people saying? What should be the standards and in my in our particular case, because we 're a service organization we don 't sell gadgets we don 't sell pieces of equipment we sell services it 's even harder so you kind of like looking at all of the events and knowing how much you 're spending. How much are you going to spend per meeting?
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: if you have a good contact at a conference, I know more or less you can have a good estimate on how much it costs for a salesperson to travel to a customer or a set of customers. Well, you can kind of, and that's how I correlated what is the cost per valuable contact. Mm-hmm. And we use that and we kind of, we kind of see a trend where it, it's within a range of dollars. Mm-hmm. And that's what we should expect to see. Now, if I go to a conference and you invest $50,000 and you have two leads, well, $25,000 per
0: lead, uh, that's, something is not working there. Mm-hmm. Gosh, yes, exactly. So a lot of what you're saying is you're looking at the data and making decisions based on what that data says. When I talk to some people in the market, I hear a fear from people about what the data will say. So they're nervous that actually the, if they put in place these systems, it's going to prove that they're not doing the success that they claim that they have been. Have you come across that kind of mentality that you need to educate people that actually learning from failure is as valuable and as important as learning from the success?
1: Again, going back to the website and, and SEO, we were doing very specific messaging and we selected our keywords and we're like, we're just going to have traffic come like crazy. Mm-hmm. Guess what? We didn't. We didn't. We had chose like, it's like, oh my God, we didn't select the correct words. And what we thought from our little corner in the world was important and how people were searching was completely wrong. Now, had we not looked at the data, we would have thought that we had the greatest message in the world. hmm so you do have to be open to get that information. And you also, as years go by, different. We, one of the things that I'm very conscious and I always tell my team, if something works really well and you don't track it, then you get comfortable because you've done it, it's easy, you know, it works. You need to be prepared at some point for things to change. And that that worked before may not work next year or it's not going to be working five years from now. And in my career, I can tell you, I've seen it with events and conferences that have gone from being top for us to not being necessarily the best. I've seen it with the way we are running campaigns. Like five years ago, we were doing a lot of print advertisement in magazines and publications. We don't do that anymore Mm -hmm. because we don't get data. We Mm -hmm. don't get data and the world is going paperless as it is. You have to be prepared to adjust And you need to, if you want to make adjustments, you need to be prepared to look at data and you may not like what you see, but then that gives you the ability to adjust, adapt, change,
0: and be proactive. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting because you're saying that something that works now might not work next week or next year. I mean, we work in a scientific world and when we think about it, we need to think about these as experiments where we control the variables and compare and contrast and do the A B testing. How do you approach that kind of? In a world where it's multi channel, where it's not just going to be one touch with a target or target audience that will result in a sale, how do you look at the impact across multiple marketing touches on a sale, for example?
1: So, yeah, and that again, I love these questions because that's another thing that we're starting to see in terms of what works today, not working tomorrow. But mm-hmm. well, we also have to take in consideration who our customers are mm-hmm. and their generation and how they like to receive information, how our customers today and our workforce too, there is a generational change that is happening right now. The millennial generation I think has now exceeded, there's more millennials than than baby boomers in the workforce today. And we all know that they don't look at information in the same way or the way that you would look or a Gen Xer would would look at marketing information and having to figure out what are the correct channels to put that. That's what I'm saying. For example, social media. Social media five five years ago was not, I mean, was not something worth putting that much effort. We had our pages, Mm -hmm. but now we have a generation of people within our industry that are using those channels. Again, it's, it goes back to the publications, the hard copies. There's a shift now and people are reading publications online. Mm-hmm. So digital advertisement is a lot more important than putting something on, on a publication that's just going to be collecting dust at some table because it's not going to be read because that's not how the people or the audience you're trying to reach are going to be looking for that information. Mm-hmm. Creating pieces that are interactive, Using tools like VR, technology to give tours of your facilities, you have to move along with the times and
0: understand what people want to see. And we look at that very much as well. I'm going to change things up a little bit now. The next few questions I ask all of our interviewees because of the theme of this podcast, which is obviously about metrics, but also about how you act on the insights that come from that. I like to ask each interviewee about your biggest marketing failure that you've had over your career and how you defined it as a failure and how you learned from that. So if you're happy to share that with us, we'd love to hear it. I'm absolutely happy to share that with you So
1: As we established and put together this marketing team, one of the things that at the time it was myself and another member of the team, it was just the two of us. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we were doing is like, that's when we started putting tools as well. It's like, okay, we need more tools in order to be able to do this job. And we started evaluating different platforms, whether it's things like Smartsheet and Showpad and whatever you can, you can name it. We started evaluating platforms and there was a platform that we looked at at the time. I don't really want to say the name of it, but it was very expensive. It was supposed to help us create content and drive traffic and we signed up for it. And without really, really giving a thought that there was going to be a complete need to have resources dedicated to manage that and to create content. And oh my God, I think if there's one thing I, I know I share it with a lot of people in marketing is that content creation, it's hard mm-hmm. to create content. And two months into this one year long contract, which was pretty significant, I realized that this was just a bad decision that just jump into the adoption of that technology without having had enough time to, do a proper evaluation and to fully understand what was needed behind it to Mm -hmm. make it successful and it really wasn't the technology's fault it was just we just didn't do our due diligence and it cost money and
0: I never really saw ROI for that so. See I love that so there's two things that have jumped out at me from that anecdote you just gave us which has become a theme that's coming out of all of the interviews that we've been doing and the first one being that Don't jump into a technology until you clearly know what your objective is from that technology and you know what data you want out of it and that it will actually deliver that. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And that was one thing that keeps coming up. But the second one is that technology is great, but if you don't have the right people in place that can deliver on it and make the most out of it, it is also, again, an almost pointless investment. Technology for technology's sake is not the right thing. That was a
1: good lesson to learn. So we still love to look at different tools and different technologies, but we're very, very cautious. And until we need to have a very clear business need, marketing need for us to implement and move ahead and, and having the resources that are going to make it successful. That, that
0: was, yeah, absolutely. That was a big lesson. That I was bet. a big lesson. I bet. So, so on the flip side, what's been your biggest marketing success?
1: I'm really, really proud of what we have accomplished at Fujifilm and Biotechnologies. I think we are today a well-recognized brand. I think when we first were acquired by Fujifilm in 2011, mm-hmm. there was a lot of confusion. Why is a camera company buying you? And people were having a hard time separating us from that. And I think over the years, we have done a really good job at establishing ourselves as a CDMO who happens to have, you know, a great company like Fujifilm as our parent. And we have helped promote the actual message that Fujifilm is, is a very much dedicated life sciences company, just that it's not as well known here. I think we have done that well. But I think at the end of the day, the thing I'm the proudest is I have a tremendous team of people, and I just, for whatever reason they have the, the team that I have they have decided to work with me as part of a team and I think just having them and having made the decision to bring those people onto the team and put them in the positions that they have today that again you can have the best tools you can have the greatest thing but at the end of the day is people behind doing it and have, building a strong team
0: mm-hmm. a
1: team that can work together a team that can challenge each other a team that has new ideas That is invaluable. And that, to me, is what I'm the proudest of because
0: it's allowed us us to do all these things that we're doing. And I love that answer because there is a lot of fear in the market, especially from marketers seeing the change in the industry now, worrying that their roles are going to be made redundant by technology and automation. And to hear that time and again, that it's the people that make it work. It's such a reassuring message and I love it.
1: Yeah, at the end of the day, you can have a ton of data And you can have AI, we all hear about that, and you can have all that, but you are making the interpretation and we are people, we're working with people, delivering messages to people. And you have to keep that in mind at the end of the day, no matter what it is that you're doing, it's people. And we can't forget that
0: the most valuable asset any company or any group or any team has is the people. Oh, fantastic. So finally, I ask every interview if there was one question that you could ask your peers to learn from their experience, what would it be? So we talk a lot about people, and for me,
1: especially in my role, I like to know from other marketing professionals what have they done to make sure that they keep their team together, that they develop their team in the appropriate way so that they choose to stay and be part of your team. I, I guess for me, learning to, to making sure that you are challenging your team and developing your team, how would
0: you do that? What advice do you have? That's what I would like to know. Wonderful. Thank you. Well, I will continue to ask that to our future interviewees and listen out and you'll get the answer. Okay, thank you so much. No, It was fun. Thank you so much for coming on today. We really appreciate it. It has been great and fascinating to hear about what goes on under the hood of your company. So we really appreciate it and we look forward to hearing from you again, hopefully soon. Absolutely. Thank you so very much and it was an absolute pleasure to be a part of this podcast. Thank you. Bye. Bye.